quick note before we start the show, unfortunately, I had some technical difficulties while recording this episode, so had to use a slightly different setup, so that's why the audio on my end sounds a little different. Hopefully, it doesn't detract from what is a great conversation. Uh, without further ado, let's get to the show. You know, spend the day, you know, with the guys. It was a two-floor house upstairs, and we'd be on the boards and be working and exchanging ideas. And at night, we'd all kind of separate into our bedrooms, and I'd be like, like, what am I doing? Like, you know, these guys are in the next room, and I'm so, you know, worried that either I won't come up with a good chapter for tomorrow or, um, you know, what if we can't afford to do a season three? We've come so far. Um, you know, what are my fans going to think if, you know, I've built the story and they've, they've, been, they've waited this long, they've invested so much time in the story and then we can't finish it. Um, and there was guilt associated with that. So there was just a lot of, um, you know, a lot of turmoil. to squeeze in one more episode and I'm really happy with who I was able to get. My guest today is someone whose work I only recently discovered a few years ago, uh, but he's someone who's been honing his craft for many, many years before that. My guest today is Christoph Laputka, the creator of the Leviathan Chronicles, a story that has captivated thousands of listeners across the world and inspired countless other creators to enter the world of audio drama. But the journey Christoph has taken to get to where he is today is a really inspiring one. He sacrificed a stable, lucrative career to chase his dreams and make the world of Leviathan a reality. And in this episode, we'll explore what kept him going despite hard economic times, creative insecurities, and even tragic personal loss. Without further ado, let's get into the episode. Investigating, I guess, investigating the website, uh, looking back at some of those old uh, posts from over you know, 10, 15 yeah. years ago now. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's just so funny to think of you know, where we were then technology-wise and just the things that were kind of going on and now yeah. where we are today. It's like, wow, mm-hmm. this, is, this is so funny. <laughs> um, and actually, I started as just to kind of refresh my brain on the story. I, I, I was re-listening to the podcast and I was like, wow, like, this is, I, I, to be honest, I, I was, in, in my opinion, I'm not sure how you feel when you go back and listen to it. I'm like, this is pretty damn good for 2008. Like, <laughs> this, this, this is pretty impressive. Um, so, yeah. Plus, plus oh, thank you. you. Well, thank you. Uh, yeah, I mean, going going back and listening is always a little bit of a tough thing for us because, you know, obviously yeah. we our style has changed so much. Um yeah. But you know there there are there are things that we that we select. What what gets us the most is you know again going back to you know the time frame we're in is like we had words that hadn't been invented like like hand somebody the data pad. It's like you mean the iPad. Like they didn't we didn't have <laughs> good words one. for those things yet. And so going back now, I mean it's it's funny yeah. and people talk about the challenges of you know like what we had then like how do you grow an audience i'm like our biggest problem was trying to explain to people what a podcast was yeah like that was that was the the barrier to entry back then was you know you were a a tab on itunes 
you know, if we remember that software, um, <laughs> that, you know, that we're just a, a curiosity. So, yeah, it is fun to go back and see how, you know, how far we've we've all come. Yeah, it's it's mm-hmm. it's amazing. Um, and, of course, we'll get into a little bit of that in the episode. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, we can just go ahead and, and, and dive right into it. I know you were saying you were, I believe, speaking on a panel earlier. So I, I was. I was. It was a lot of, a lot of fun. Um, okay, nice. It's... Uh, and that was yeah. in, it was said um, like it was like a New Zealand um, panel. Yeah, there? yeah. There's a there's a growing um, uh, circuit of web fests um, that are you know primarily there for for film and for people that are you know if you make a movie now you know you're putting it on YouTube before that you know you, you don't need the gatekeepers of a studio system and these so they support independent filmmakers but what a lot of them have said is we should also recognize independent audio creators. So we're kind of getting um, a little bit of billing now in, in some of these film festivals who are starting to celebrate audio and, um, and New Zealand's doing a really fun one. And uh, so we got to take part in that a little bit. And, and that's nice. Mm-hmm. I'll have to, um, I'm, I'm not sure where it's going to be posted or uh, when that's, that's going to be available. I have to, I'll have to check that out. Cause I didn't know um, that that shift was happening, but I've listened to a mm-hmm. lot of audio storytelling uh, shows, so I, I wonder if some of those creators or, or some of those shows that I, I become like you know, come to, to love will be featured on any of them. Mm-hmm. So that'll be, be cool to check. Remind out. me, but, remind me where you're located, Dimitri. Oh, I'm located in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Um, okay, so so you need so next year you need to come to the New Jersey Web Fest. Um, yeah, that's <laughs> that is probably like the nice premier audio um, audio fiction gathering and. Mm. What's fun about going in person is New Jersey is one of the few shows that does like 10 minute screenings of your audio. So mm. you actually get a sense for what each show is about. And you right. just hear I like some that. amazingly creative folks there that are just, you know, have got great premises and, and the quality of the audio keeps going up every year. It's really cool to see. Okay. Say, say no more. I just I found mm-hmm. a new thing to add to my agenda or my calendar mm-hmm. for next year. Um, <laughs> But yeah, let's let's go ahead and, and dive into mm-hmm. it. I know we have a lot to talk about. So um, mm-hmm. as I was doing my research, you know, for this uh, for for this episode, I began to realize kind of, you know how long the the journey has been here. Uh, I know we were just alluding to it a second ago, but it started out in terms of of releasing things in two thousand eight. But I guess you could even say it started uh, before that. But you know, fifteen ish sort of years uh, that that this journey of, of audio storytelling and, and podcasting um, has been been going. And, uh, I mean, kudos to you for having the, the stamina to keep going, honestly. I don't think many artists stick with it that long. <laughs> you know, you, you find something you enjoy, you're like, oh, I'll give it a shot for a few years. Oh, it didn't work out. I'll, you know, kind of move on uh, to, to something or, or revert back to what I was doing before. Um, and I, I think what will be fun to do is, is maybe starting at that beginning point and, and working our way sort of forward chronologically mm-hmm. Uh, to, to get back to current day. So uh, flashback to the early 2000s, and I think this will give listeners as well an introduction to who you are. Uh, you worked on on Wall Street, correct? Is is that what yeah. you were doing kind of uh, at that time period? What, what was that experience like? It was, um, you know, I had grown up in, in Manhattan my whole life. And so you were, you know, you're kind of always aware of finance the same way that people growing up in LA are always aware of the entertainment business. Um, it was, you know, it's the cottage industry in New York. And so, um, you know, it was, it was a, it was a 
dynamic environment. Um, it was, it was, you know, you were under a lot of pressure, um, but there were great rewards and you were with, um, you know, really interesting people that were trying to, you know, I was working in real estate. Um, so you got to travel around the country and see, um, you know, a lot of different ways that people were building shopping centers or hotels and, and that was great. But, but it also um, wasn't a place that wanted to tolerate any kind of uh, creative endeavors. And it wasn't a place that, um, you know, that I, I felt like I had to keep that part of myself like kind of hidden. And um, what I found was, you know, as I was, I had done it since 1994 and I was getting, you know, as anybody doing something for, for 10, 15 years, you can, you can get subject to fatigue and, and as I was walking to work and trying to learn more about this thing called podcasting, I discovered that there were these first-time authors um, that, uh, again, taking your listeners back to you know early 2000s, this is when Amazon was becoming really ascendant, and and all the traditional publishing houses, uh, you know, like Barnes and Nobles, were starting to consolidate and shut down, and all of the publishers like Simon and Schuster and um, uh, and, and, and all those places were no longer giving contracts to first time authors. So it put these, these, you know, wonderful, talented writers in a bind where they had these great manuscripts that nothing was happening with. And so, um, one of them in particular named Scott Sigler, who's a, a great friend and uh, certainly somebody I look up to creatively, um, said, okay, I'm going to take a Dickensian approach to this and take one chapter of my work and podcast it for free. Um, uh, on, on this feed and it's not making me any money anyway. I might as well. And, and what he realizes after about a year or so, he's able to go back to those same publishers that turned him down and said, you know how no one wanted to buy my book. Okay. Let me tell you exactly who's listening to my book. I'll tell you what their ages, their gender, where they live and come up with all this empirical data, data, exactly why I should be getting a contract. And, and that struck me, um, as really exciting to be able to go right from the formulation of a story and get it directly out to the public without the gatekeeper of a publisher or a physical book. And, and it just got me, you know, feeling really excited about, about the genre. Um, and maybe wanted to, to kind of explore it and, and see what I could do because writing had always been something that I've been deeply passionate about. That's interesting um, for, from a, a few different dimensions. Uh, I, I hadn't known that actually in terms of, uh, writers taking this new approach in order to get social proof and justify their existence, basically, and and the merit behind their stories. But at the end, there you're saying that you you've been interested in writing for for quite some time, and uh, I had, is... but I had to, I had to hide it. You know, it was, right. it was you weren't you weren't allowed to be. You know, if you were an artist, that meant you weren't serious about you know about your job or about being in finance. And and I found that you know discouraging that you, you you couldn't hold two thoughts in your head at the same time um but they wanted you you know one-dimensional and, and obedient and um uh you know the other thing that 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 struck me in listening to some of these these early um patio books they were calling them at the times before audio fiction or podcast fiction became a term um was the intimacy that the writer had with his audience you know you'd start with the writer kind of just saying hello and that's a different experience than when you're reading a Stephen King book or you know you're picking something up like that's a that's a fixed product and you can't just you know say hello to the author you didn't feel like you had that 
parasocial relationship with them. But, but with these podcasts and being in somebody's headphones, it's a different kind of consumption. And, um, and I was just, you know, struck by how, um, how impactful it was. And, um, and I was excited to dip my toe into it and, and see what would be possible. That's, that's a great point. And I think in, in terms of even just getting back to the, the delivery of the story, being able to intonate and emphasize certain passages or, or, or certain parts of a story and, and, and make readers really feel it in a, in a more traditional sense, I guess, is, is different. And, and probably at this time, really interesting to some people like, oh, wow, you know, I usually would read this voice via or read this book via the little voice in my head. And now I have mm-hmm. the, the author themselves actually kind of walking me through it. It, it is more mm-hmm. personalized for sure. Um, so by 2007, 2008-ish, I mean, how much did you have written of what would become the Leviathan Chronicles? How, how did the process of writing that even really go? It's, I'll tell you, the scariest step is the first one um, just when you're like, where do I start? And you start with a blank page and you, you just start, um, you know, picturing this world that you want to create and, and kind of seeing where it takes you. Mm-hmm. Um, and let me just start by saying we made every mistake in the book as we were, <laughs> as we were going through it. I mean, uh, I'm going to, I'm almost embarrassed to tell you this, Dimitri, but when we started, we had this idea that, we could do an episode every 10 days that, wow. you know, it could take me, you know, a couple days to write it. It would take them a couple days to edit it and put, you know, some sound effects and music to it. And, you know, in the worst case it'd be every two weeks, but you know, we could do this. And this went off the rails after like two episodes, like we weren't, <laughs> we weren't able to do it. I started, I had four in the can, four episodes. Uh, the first four episodes of Leviathan were finished as a, as one big block. And, and our, we, we knew, that we wanted to create essentially a subscription model. We wanted to give the first four away for free and then right. figure out a way. But there was no Patreon. There was no, um, you know, people weren't, there was no Apple Pay. To be honest, right. the iPhone hadn't come out yet. So it was, we were, we were way too early to try and even think about monetizing what, you know, what we were creating. But, you know, we knew there were going to be considerable production costs. And, and honestly, that's where the job in finance helped. We, we took these first four episodes and the way that I approached it was, you know, there, no one knows this thing exists yet. So if you had all the time and all the money and, and all the resources, like how good could you make these four episodes sound? Mm -hmm. And, and I knew I didn't have the audio editing skills and I found a, um, a, an audio production company that focused mainly on film and I sat down, we had an interview and I said, you know, what could you guys do without the film? And, and it really unlocked <clears throat> for a lot of these engineers, a huge, um, uh, you know, world of creativity because it always been like having to edit to the screen or to a commercial and to be free of that and to really play the full keyboard of sound effects and Foley and perspective and, and, and all the other um, artistry that goes into sound design. Um, this was actually an exciting project for them. So for a writer, I was given, you know, uh, you know, all of these sound effects to play with. And for the sound designers, they were freed from the limitations of the screen. So there was a lot of excitement in terms of just what would be possible. And we, we just didn't know. Um, and we 
did a casting call on Craigslist back when Craigslist wasn't <laughs> oh my was, goodness wasn't wasn't creepy yet. <laughs> <laughs> and um and we didn't know how to go about it wow. but we 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 put a voiceover ad and we got you know we got a lot of stage actors and we got a lot of uh you know people that were you know trying out for film parts and you know people kind of didn't know what they were there for but we offered mm. free bagels and uh Sounds and a chance to come yeah. in and 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 that's really how it started so the the first four were the the initial core and when we heard what we had done, we said, okay, how do we take this further? And that started to lead us into the next steps. Gotcha. Wow. So just like that, you were, you were off and running, which is, uh, to, to me, I, I think, I know you're saying the, the hardest part is, is the, the first step, the, the beginning is the most difficult aspect. But I, I think your level of, your, your, your tolerance, I guess, for that level of uncertainty to just get started and, and take a chance with it is, is what sticks out to me the most. Because uh, putting myself in your shoes, I could have easily just uh, imagined a scenario where, oh, man, I'm not sure if this is really actually going to work. Do I, do I really want to put all this in up front to possibly have absolutely no one listen to this and it just mm-hmm. be a, a complete waste of time, really? Um, but but you, obviously you decided to, to, to take the chance and... and so glad that you did ultimately, of course. Mm-hmm. But and, and thinking about time period wise, early 2000s, 2008-ish, you know, the financial crisis obviously was a, a mm-hmm. pretty serious moment for anyone living in the country like, and also on Wall Street. Did that play a role in your decision at all to say like, screw it, let me give it a try? <laughs> it was, it, it absolutely did. I mean, there's no question, like in my in my life, that was, that was, uh, a pivotal time. It was AD and BC. It changed my life when the financial crash happened um, forever. And it, there was definitely, there was, um, there was definitely a sense of, in some ways, relief mm-hmm. that, you know, there's nothing left to lose now. And it's very easy, you know, and I'm, I'm sure, you know, your listeners deal with this too. There's, there's a lot of reasons to say no to your creative endeavors. I don't have the time. I don't have the money. I don't have the energy. Um, there's there's all these reasons. And for a split second in time, there was no holdbacks. Like, like the only excuse to not creating was myself. Mm-hmm. And and that was some moment of personal responsibility that if I ever want this thing to happen, I'm being given a window of time when, you know, there was no jobs to be had. Um, there was nothing possible to do. No one knew you know, at that time, if the industry was ever coming back, I mean, I have to, you know, take some of your listeners back down to what it was really, really like back then. Yeah. There was a sense of like, we didn't know if our financial system was going to crash. Like if dollars were still going to be worth anything, um, you know, we, we got out of the trough somewhat quickly and it was a long slog back, but there were some moments of true existential worry in terms of what was going to happen banks that were you know hundreds of years old were were failing and there was a sense of we really don't know what's going on so um so being able to focus on something like leviathan was actually an anchor in many ways to be able to you know have something to focus on and to feel good about and and it was exciting because nobody like even when we're listening to these patio books they were they were wonderful and i and loved the experience but i'm like there should be a gunshot there. Like there should be swelling <laughs> right. music when this comes in. Right, and you sure. can hear, you know, already what it could be, but but there just weren't a lot of people getting it there yet. 
And, and so I knew that we had a chance to do something that wasn't being done right now, even if it couldn't be monetized, no one was going to listen to it. I knew it was going to be unique. Right. And I think this is a good place to, to maybe talk about Leviathan a little bit in earnest and, and what that story was at that point, what it would, and we could, we'll touch on this a little bit further of what it would ultimately grow into, but the idea overall, and and for those who are listening to to, to this episode and, and have not you know, looked up what Leviathan Chronicles is, I think this is your your cue to, to go do so and then come back to this this episode because that'll help make things make sense. Um, but the the idea to to craft this story around immortals and kind of the the, the struggles that they would even have as immortal individuals and 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 how they could possibly fit into our current society and and trying to ground that story as well i I think at at some points with um when you're taking on certain subject matters like that that are very um quote-unquote out there i guess uh uh, Mm -hmm. from a fictional standpoint it, it becomes easy to kind of lose like the, the, the grounded basis in reality that I think makes the story uh, believable to some degree. But I think Leviathan really walked the line, that delicate line well of that. I can, I can almost believe that this is happening out there somewhere <laughs> in the world, right? That, mm-hmm. um, you, you know, this, this team of, of individuals is, is uh, trying to overcome these challenges and, and dealing with like these different organizations along the way. Uh, but in terms of that idea, how did that idea even even start? Like, I, I obviously we have the beginning of the the podcast and and where that uh, would go, and and starting with that that very first episode. But sometimes I, from what I've noticed from authors, is that oftentimes where say the book starts or the the um, podcast starts isn't the initial point of what made them think about that universe overall. It might have been something else. And then they say, okay, well, what is the story within this universe that I'm ultimately going to tell? And then I'll, and we, we go from there. But how was that for you? How was the thinking about the, the Leviathan universe and, and starting that? Well, I think there were, I, I think you make such an excellent point, Dimitri, that, that you know, maybe where you, you start isn't necessarily where you end, or, you know, you realize what you're writing is really something other than what you originally conceived. But, um, you know, I think, I, I think in the very beginning, what I wanted Leviathan to be was an escape. And for me, what an escape looked like was I wanted the world around me to, to have more possibilities than, than, than I saw. And, and I wanted other people who were maybe going to their jobs that maybe they weren't that thrilled about um, to, to, to have the sense that there was a possibility that around one corner or if you open up the right door, or if you meet the right person under the right circumstances, that things can radically change and become something different. And um, and that was that was really important to me. I, I wanted, you know, I thought one of the beautiful things about Harry Potter was always that no, there's this beautiful world of magic that exists just below the surface of the world that we all see. And and I wanted to have elements of that in in Leviathan. But I think as the story went on. What I really wanted to, to examine was what is the real nature of the human soul? In other words, you know, there's really kind of too many, well, two schools of thought out there where if you were given 
all uh, if all your needs were being met, if you could live in a utopian society where you didn't have to work and you didn't have to worry about money, what would you do? Like, would you be free to um, what would Einstein have done with 400 more years? What would what symphonies could Mozart have written if he had more time and, and didn't have to do anything or if Van Gogh, you know, wasn't crushed by poverty? Um, what could that happen? You, could, you, could, you know, you can just imagine the innovation uh, and the brilliance that they'd be able to express given a longer runway. Or would you not? If you had everything taken care of, would you just become lazy and hedonistic? And, um, and you know, unless you have a, uh, you know, a, 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 you know, there's the carrot and stick mentality, unless there's some incentive to get you out there that people will become um, idle. And, you know, we wanted to use Leviathan as a test bed to say when you put humans in this situation um, and have all your wishes granted, what do you really become? And, and so that became something really interesting to me. And I think the answer is it depends on the person. Right. Um, but, but that was, that was the crux of what I thought Leviathan needed to be and to illustrate, um, that, that conundrum. The, the beauty, I, one of the, the beautiful things about the story is that it's a pretty large cast of characters. It, it just expands gradually over time. And you get a, a nice gambit of people on that spectrum. You know, you, you have the individuals who do kind of go towards the, the more hedonistic nature of things. Others who uh, seem to, to dedicate their life or their or, or a large portion of it to some sort of mission or goal or, or trying to solve something. And especially in the, say, those first, when you're really setting the stage of like what the story is in the first, say, 20 episodes or so, I kind of sympathize with several different characters in terms of their viewpoint. Like, okay, I can, I can kind of see what he, what he means here. And I, I, I'm mm-hmm. not really, I, I'm not upset at you for, for having that perspective, nor am I upset at this other person. Uh, so it really represented uh, a realistic human dilemma that I could see happening if this were to to be true. Uh, so so that was that, that was really so for for me at least very engaging. Um, another thing I'm interested in in terms of the story, and, and you can tell me if this was the case or not. As you started working with under uh, uh, other people and, and and started to build like a the the Leviathan team, I guess you can call it, the folks who would be dedicated to this project for uh, many years to come. Did your vision for the story somewhat change based on their their input or, or some of like these creative sessions that you would have with them? Um, or, or, or did you kind of stick, I, I guess, to, to kind of the direction that you had thought you were going in, you were going to be going in from the beginning? Like, how did it kind of change and develop over time? Boy, that's a that's a great question, Dimitri. Um, I, you know, again, it, it, it's important to know the context of time where. We didn't have the software. We couldn't. We couldn't be having this discussion, you know, over <laughs> yeah. you know over the internet back in in, in two thousand seven. Certainly not as easily as we are. Um, so, um, getting so we we had to do everything physically. Um, we had to get people in a room doing things, and that helped kind of shape people's availability. Um, we were originally virtually everybody in 
Leviathan, the original cast, they were all New York based. Mm. And one of the great challenges we've had in Leviathan is, you know, I'm, you know, I, I'm, I want everything. I want all the episodes to be as consistent as possible because there's people discovering episode one now, even though it's 15 years ago, and I want the story to be fluid. So as time has gone on, our actors have spread all over the country, all over the world. Right. And we have to still keep finding ways to, to bring them back. And, and now digital technology makes that easier. But, um, but originally when we were assembling our team, um, I, I think I figured out pretty early on that it, it's going to take a village. And we needed people that um, that really were not able to to realize the, the fruits of their talent in their fields. And and you know one of the first people that um, that I joined up with Nobi Nakanishi, um, who is just such a talented uh, you know multidisciplinary artist. And we met through a mutual friend, and he very quickly um, made me understand that he was going to have a better rapport with the actors and he had a better, um, you know, language skill mm. in the acting community to elicit the kind of performances that I knew we were going to need. And right. so we developed it where, you know, once I got the script done, it was handed to Nobi. It was Nobi's job to get the vocal performances. And we had the vocal performances that went over to Robin Shore or Luke or the, you know, we had a couple different audio engineers originally, but that was, it was a little bit like an assembly line, but we were always somewhat limited by like, who can we get on, you know, from Craigslist? Like, does, does that actor know a friend? Like, you know, <laughs> Hey, is, is your cousin in town? Do you wanna, and, and that's, and it was, it was really pulling people in, um, you know, where, wherever we could. Um, so you know, in some of these cases, we've recorded over and, and, and brought in some actors. In some cases, you know, I enjoy listening to the older episodes because, you know, these were, you know, a lot of them were friends and family. And it's still fun to, you know, hear the performances. But but um, but eventually we, you know, we we streamlined into, you know, the, the folks that had the time and ability to devote, you know, the hours and hours a week that it was taking to, to create the project. Gotcha. Yeah, and that, there's there's so much to dive in there. Um, Nobi, I think is uh, he's he's like um, for for me at least as a listener, he's like this legendary character who's kind of like been there from the beginning, um, mm-hmm. and I think wears a lot of hats at least uh, as far as I know in the, the Leviathan universe. Um, and for those that don't know, I, he's he's went on to do other really great work as, as well. I believe he was involved with Teen Wolf, um, more recently mm-hmm. Hit Monkey. I want to say on on who. That's right. That's right. Really cool. Um, I actually was watching a few episodes that the the other day. A very interesting mm-hmm. concept, um, and and a cast of or a range of other very talented individuals. But I'll focus on Nobi because I think you uh, you and him developed this really interesting bond and relationship, especially in those early episodes, uh, and and via these uh, these soapbox episodes, which were kind of like behind the scenes looks at, uh, look into. Uh, what was going on with the development of the story? What was going on with that specific episode? How did it get recorded? Who was involved with it, et cetera? And for me, I love uh, these behind-the-curtain looks at at how this all gets put together because, as as you're saying, that to obviously we get this very polished, finished product, but in terms of the the, the process to get there, oftentimes it's like, okay, well, well, who can we get to play this extra character this week? Or yeah. uh, can, can we rely on a friend or a family member? 
Um, but getting back on point, can, can you tell me a little bit about, you know, kind of how y- your relationship with Nobi developed over time? Yeah, I mean, he, we, we, again, we, we had a mutual friend. Um, so we'd always kind of like known of each other. Um, but we met at, uh, at that, this friend's sister's wedding and we started talking more about the project. And as we started working more of the project, he, he became one of my best friends, uh, mm. stopped in period. Um, but what I, I think a lot of people heard in the soapboxes was the fact that we were so excited by this emerging medium and mm-hmm. we were, we were, we were honestly having a lot of fun with what we were doing and we wanted to share that fun with, with everybody that, that was listening. And, you know, sometimes that came across and sometimes it didn't, but, um, you know, again, talking about the time frame that we were kind of doing these, these, these soapboxes, it was when, again, the internet was still new and blogging was still a very active, um, form of expression and the internet was inherently more confessional than it is mm-hmm. now. And so, you know, we thought part of the way that you, you know, build an audience and that you do something on the internet is you talk about your life behind the scenes. And, mm-hmm. um, and we, we wanted to share that because a lot of our lives um, went into the Leviathan story. We wanted it to be, we wanted Leviathan, we, again, we, the idea of taking our listeners and wanting to transport them and give them an escape. Mm-hmm. We, you know, there, there was a lot of travel with Leviathan and, and for a while our narrator was in London. And so we would actually go to London to, to record her. And London is a very inspirational city. Uh, I lived there many, many years ago, but, um, you know, when to me, like the character of Harlequin came up by walking on the streets of London because the buildings are so old that you're looking at a townhouse. Like, is that where somebody lives? Is that a bank? Is that, you know, a hedge fund? You, you don't know, but that, but that's what makes it fun is like, you can put a match like that could be a secret headquarters where, you know, villains who are only focused on finding alien artifacts, you know, would be based. And, you know, you could see it going underground to the river Thames and, and that travel brought the story, and we wanted to bring all of that into the soapbox. And, you know, what was great, you know, what's great about working with Nobi is he he shared the same passion. Um, I think he was often a, uh, um, he kind of could, could temper my enthusiasm because I do get, like, excited about things. And, uh, and he always had a great sense of humor about everything that we were doing. But he was always what I think was good about Nobi is he always um, was an actor first and understood the language of drama in a way that I maybe didn't have my finger on um, going into the story. And what I so much appreciate about having Nobi as part of the team is, you know, Leviathan as I write it is one thing, but I give it to Nobi and it becomes something different, but it's usually something better. And then when Robin gets it, it evolves again. And again, it becomes even better. And, and it was, you know, taught to me time and time again and shown to me that collaboration leads to, uh, leads to great things. And, and all the guys that work in Leviathan are so crazily talented. And, and I'm so lucky that they, you know, were able to, you know, make Leviathan what it is. Yeah, and that uh, assembly line, is, uh, as I believe you said it before, at each step of that, it's, it's getting better as everyone puts their unique uh, a twist into it. And I think passion mm-hmm. for the story definitely showed through 
in terms of just folks trying to, to, to do the very best at their specific thing, uh, bringing their specific talent to it. Um, and I believe, if I have my, my dates correct, uh, to start off in, in terms of uh, talking about season one, started in 2008 and then ended around 2010, I believe, um, mm-hmm. in, in terms of that first season. Uh, and, and then season two actually wouldn't be, and, and it was, this was interesting to me because I didn't remember this actually uh, until I went back and, and did some digging, that season two actually wouldn't be released until about 2013. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, th- I thought this, the, you know, those kind of years represent a very uh, important time to, to sort of touch on. And I, I think that you've, you've already touched on this a, a little bit before, but like the logistics of recording, getting everyone in the same room would gradually, I believe, get more and more difficult as, as, as time went on. Um, but as, as you entered season two, you know, I think the story, I, I, the story took a, a big jump forward. Obviously, the world expanded um, and the stakes just keep getting higher and higher and higher in season two uh, to, to, to my listening of it. Um, and for, from my perspective, I feel like this was probably the, the it was a large part of the story and also maybe the most challenging from a, a recording perspective as new characters come in and out. And uh, you, you have a lot more storylines that are, are being balanced of like, OK, we haven't heard from. Oberlin in like two episodes now, like what, what is right. he doing? <laughs> you know, and we, you flash back over to him. Um, mm-hmm. So can you tell me a little bit about what you remember of season two and, and that production, you know, what that was like for, from your perspective behind the scenes of, 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 of pushing that forward? Yeah. Um, so another thing that, you know, your listeners need to know is season one was 25 episodes and I was approaching it in my head that like, Back then, like a season of television, right, was, you know, 20, that was a standard run, like 24 episodes was if you're a 30 minute show, that's what you, that's what sitcoms did. That's what that that's what it was supposed to be. And, and then pretty soon I realized that that maybe didn't need to work or, or do it that way. But, you know, season one was really a double season and was such an effort to, to get done. And, and our last two episodes were like double episodes. So there was definitely a sense of like, you know, exhaustion at the end of it. Um, but we, and I think coming out of that, we were sometimes like you cross the finish line and I think everybody kind of wanted a little bit of a break, but I remember for season two, what I figured out was we need to all be together, the team and I more intimately. Mm-hmm. And so what I decided is we, we'd all started to, to move around. Um, after the crash, uh, I had moved out of the city uh, to uh, a suburb of New York. Nobi was still in Manhattan. Uh, Robin was in Brooklyn. And, and Luke had moved to Austin, Texas. And, and I said, look, what if we all lived together for, you know, for a couple weeks uh, somewhere and we leave, you know, live and breathe. And I'm going to lock myself in a room and write, Le- write Leviathan. You're going to lock yourself on the boards and do the editing. And what can we accomplish if we're all on the same page on the same place and, and doing something? So then the question was, where do we do it? And like trying to get everybody together in New York city was probably going to be expensive. Um, so we decided to do Austin, Texas. And so we, to do season two, 
we um we rented an airbnb down in austin uh robin and i drove uh with all of his sound equipment and all of his computer stuff in the car we drove from new york down to texas and we lived in this house for for a couple weeks and um and it was we did some of our best work so there was an intensity i remember to season two where season one we were still figuring it out so there was a sense of it's going to happen when it happens. And with season two, it's like, we're on a schedule and we were much more focused on, you know, on, on what the show, what the show could be as a show, as opposed to season one, like what could a podcast be? Mm. Um, So we were, we were definitely strategizing a lot more about both where to take the story and then what we, you know, what we could do in terms of, do we want to be on Apple? Do we want to be independent? Do we want people just to come to our website mm-hmm. and listen to us there? And, and that was, um, you know, that we, we did a lot of great work there. There was a lot of like late nights. And, and I remember the best thing is at the end of the day, we would all just sit on a couch and, and have a beer and listen to the day's work and, you know, and, and critique it and saying, you know, I, I think we need, you know, that's a bad take there. Or, you know, can we make the music a little, you know, lower key here? And, and when, you know, when everybody's adding something to the mix, it just gets better. So um, that's my memory of, of season two. It was, it was also kind of a, a little bit of a dramatic time in my personal life. And I was trying to manage that in addition to trying to keep the team together, trying to keep everybody's creative juices flowing. So I just, I remember a lot of intensity, um, going on around season two yeah yeah i i, I think that's a, a, a intensity i think is the, the best way to put it because even mm-hmm. just thinking of that for everyone to make the agreement of like okay like i'll go down to this house for you know however much amount of time and work exclusively on this and and dedicate you know eight ten however many hours a day to doing this one thing you can see that uh, uh, you know from a the quality perspective, everything is going to kind of take a jump forward just because you you just have all your brain power focused on this one thing. Um, but yeah, there, there's there's a commitment there, and there's a um, you know pressure that you're putting on yourself to to perform um, and and hit these deadlines and and be on that schedule like you were saying. And you you actually kind of rolled right into the the next point I was I was going to ask of you know what was your personal life like around this time because. You know, I run a mm-hmm. very small little podcast here, mm-hmm. and I think about how much time it, it, it can take to, to to organize a few things related to this. Leviathan yeah. is a hundred times more um, more in depth and involved. Uh, so, you know, did you have a personal life at this time, or was it just like you're eating, sleeping, and breathing? Leviathan? It was. I mean, I was very fortunate. I mean, I was. Um, you know, I was. I was married. Uh, uh, I was married to Allie and she was so supportive of Leviathan. Quite frankly, she didn't want me to be a banker. Um, she <laughs> knew that that wasn't me. She says, you, you need to be a writer. You need to, you know, and, and we didn't know what that meant in the context of Leviathan and podcasting, but she knew that this was something that was deeply personal that, um, that I was, I was even, even if it, you know, whatever success it came, I was going to be better at that than, you know, than, than a career in finance. And, and she, so I was incredibly blessed by the most supportive partner 
anybody could ever ask for. And, and I was very lucky from that standpoint. But, you know, I, certainly on a personal point, at that point, um, you know, some jobs were starting to come back. Um, but the industry had been kind of forever changed. Uh, and my savings was starting to run down and I'm paying for all the production in Leviathan. Um, and it, it was, there was definitely a, a greater sense of stress, like not necessarily that this needs to work because there, there was no avenue to monetization, but like, there was definitely a sense of, am I wasting my time when I should be like trying to get back and putting on a suit and tie and, and doing something else. And there was um, a lot of doubt and, and a lot of questioning at the same point when, you know, I felt like I needed to, to be my strongest. And so, um, you know, I would, you know, spend the day, you know, with the guys, it was a two floor house upstairs and we'd be on the boards and be working and exchanging ideas. And at night we'd all kind of separate into our bedrooms and I'd be like, like, what am I doing? Like, you know, these guys are in the next room and I'm so, you know, worried that either I won't come up with a good chapter for tomorrow or, um, you know, what if we can't afford to do a season three? We've come so far. Um, you know, what are my fans going to think if, you know, I've built the story and they've, they've, been, they've waited this long, they've invested so much time in the story and then we can't finish it. Um, and there was guilt associated with that. So there was just a lot of, um, you know, a lot of turmoil. Um, you know, I was away from home and, uh, you know, but at the same time, like that's just all I had was the story and our team. And so you hold on to the anchor that you have. And, you know, I think it, we, we ended up doing some, some great work during that time. But I, I, I remember it being challenging. purposely and uh, this obviously brought some really great creative juices out of you but you're putting your back against the wall to to, to achieve these certain things and I remember uh, several times um, or, or at least once or twice I, I can remember on the blog which I believe was really Facebook at the time that that this was uh, all these posts were being made on um, and you, you talk about like wow just just went through and I, I love these posts by the way because it was like you just being very candidly honest about what was going on. Like you'd be like, man, like recording equipment crapped out today. That was terrible. And that, that would just be the end of the post. I'm like, that's great. Like, I, I love that you were just so honest <laughs> about things. Um, and one of the things you post about, and I didn't think about this at the time, but as I, I went back and, and did some, uh, some researching, I was like, yeah, this, this makes perfect sense of, you know, the expense associated with making this all happen production wise. Um, and that you were footing the bill for um, you know, a majority of this and, and trying to, to find a way to, to make it happen. Um, and you know, what's, what's also kind of interesting about season two, at, at least to me, is that um, it's, it's kind of interesting how it mirrors um, you know, what was going on on the, the, the outside in, in the story. Because in season two, you know, there's some pretty heavy things happening, um, and there's... At some at some level, I wonder if you know some of the the feelings that you were having in in sort of the real world in your in your life kind of seeped into the story of Leviathan and and maybe helped you write some of that drama and bring out some of that emotion. Do, do you do you think that was the case? Oh, I I think you're you're incredibly astute in in getting there. Yeah, I there was um, I think there 
there was a lot of feeling really really squeezed mm. during during that time trying to you know follow up what we did in season one and you know the pressures of the world and the pressures of um trying to manage the production and and i wanted the characters to feel pressured and and for them to feel um you know the intensity of their circumstances and you know and, and how do you do that in audio how do you how do you you know bring the consternation and the you know the self-doubt what 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 does that sound like um mm. You know, is it the sound of ice gla- of ice cubes hitting a, you know, a glass full of scotch? Is it somebody crying softly in a corner? Is it, mm. you know, just a just the long sound of a drive of silence where you just know somebody's staring lifelessly, you know, in the road? We we wanted to figure out what 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 that was, and that's that's the challenge in the, in the art of audio drama. But I was definitely, um, um, I. I knew that a lot of my personal life was going to bleed in and um, mm. where I think the first season was more aspirational and let's show you the world. I think season two was more like now let's show how tough and unforgiving the world can be. Right. Exactly. And uh, during the course of, of, of season two, um, ultimately you have to, uh, had to step away from, from the story um, yeah. for, for, for quite some time. Um, and, and I imagine that was very difficult to do because of the, the circumstances under which you had to, to step away. Um, and, and what I think is interesting about this is that truthfully, I, I, me as the, um, and I would imagine the listeners are kind of just like, oh, well, I, I guess you just <laughs> gave up on the story. Right. Or he, yeah. Just, he yeah. kind of walked away from it because it, it was so abrupt. And I, I look back and I'm like, oh, wow, it just stops for like a period of, of maybe a year and a half, two years or so. Um, mm-hmm. and, and there wasn't any, you know, posts about this or there there wasn't any kind of that, that behind the scenes kind of look into what was going on really just dropped off very um, abruptly. And, you know, from the listener's perspective, like I was saying that you, you might think that the story was just ending here or for whatever reason, you know, something happened. Um, and honestly, for, for many, I, I think the, the story would have just ended here. You know, if, if I was the, the the creator and I was you know going through some of the extreme circumstances that you were at the time, I think it's more than reasonable to think that, you know, I just don't think I'm going to, to finish the story, at least not anytime soon. Right. I'll put this on the shelf for you know an extended period of time. Um, but but ultimately, you, you, you pop back up, I, I want to say maybe around 2016 mm-hmm. ish or so um, yeah. and, and started the start of the story back. So can you, can you walk me through that? that process of, of halting production all the way up to uh, eventually starting it back up again? Sure. The, you know, when we, when we were in Austin working on season two, um, you know, our initial thought was, well, season one was 24 episodes. Right. We should make season two, 24 episodes, right? That's what we're going to do. And, and, you know, again, we're, we're in Texas, we're working, but it's not coming as quick as we would like. And, and it never does. And so, you know, time was running out on, you know, the Airbnb. I think we'd extended it for another week and everybody got more time to do it. But we weren't we weren't getting to 24 episodes that that, you know, was quickly becoming, you know, a pipe dream. But we realized that about midway through season two, there was a logical break in the story. And we're like, OK, I got an idea. Let's release the first half of season two. And that'll buy us 13 weeks of weekly releases. Uh, Actually, back then we were doing every two weeks. That was like 20, half a year. And 
we'll go back to New York and, you know, we'll take care of whatever we have to do, but we've got six months to finish the other 12 episodes that'll, that'll, that'll get us through. And that's right. kind of what we were thinking at the time. And then, um, you know, as some of your, your listeners may or may not know, my wife was diagnosed with stage four cancer. And what, what I found was happening was, um, you know, when you, when you have a show and, and something that's, you know, I'm very passionate about Leviathan, you're always thinking like, you know, I should be writing, I should be producing, you know, where does it stand? And, and the thoughts of production, you know, you have your podcast, it's always on the back of your mind Mm. that there should be another episode coming out. And I knew the fans and our listeners were like, you know, there's been these delays. It takes so long for an episode. So Mm -hmm. there's always this nagging heavy pull that, um, you know, I love creating it, but it was, you know, it, it, these episodes take so long to create, at least at the level that we wanted to create them. And it was, it was becoming a huge draw on the energy that I needed to give to my wife at the time. And, and it was, it was depressing because rightfully so the i was getting all these letters from fans going yeah what a what a jerk like this guy <laughs> like just you know had this studio the story and he walked away from it like you yeah know, he's, he's yeah. a bon vivant or or whatever it is and you know a you never get into a fight with anybody on the internet but b it's like no you don't know what's going on right, right. now and um and finally i actually had to make the conscious decision of saying listen i told the team I'm not going to be working on this right now. There's a place and there's someone that I need to be there for 1000%. And, um, and that's what caused me to step away. And it was heartbreaking. Um, and it was heartbreaking for Allie because she wants, she was happiest when she would see me writing and, and, and creating an episode. And, and it, it was so hard to step away because I felt like we had, come so far and built so much and I didn't want to share up you know put all my personal laundry you know on the internet I didn't want to share her health status so I couldn't mm-hmm. really say what was going on but I know that there was a lot of sense of betrayal from our fans and and I didn't know or didn't have the ability to address that so yeah. Ali Ali passed in 2016 and you know losing your wife and somebody who has been your best friend for so long it, it was earth shattering and it caused me to, you know, think about life and think about why we're here in, in a way that I'd never had before. And, and I knew at that point, like her dream was for me to finish Leviathan and, and it became something that I wanted to do for her to finish, you know, what season three was originally going to be part of season two, but so much time had passed, we decided to rename it season three. Hmm. And it was, it was the sense of loss that really drove a lot of season three and, um, and what the characters would be feeling. And the only thing I could knew, the only thing I knew that would um, convey that, that loss to the characters was going to be ultimately Leviathan itself. And there's there, there's so much there um, uh, that I feel like we 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 could talk about, but I, I think one thing to to touch on, I think because the and I thought about this as well as to why, and and we all do this as fans of things of when you don't know why your favorite thing has just disappeared, 
you lash out for for whatever reason. You're you're upset. Mm-hmm. You go write an angry, angry tweet, or you know you say that you're never going to watch the show again, or et cetera, et cetera. I, I what what's playing in my head, and I'm not sure if you're a fan of this show, is 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 Game of Thrones and so much of the outrage oh. associated with that show. Right. Completely. Right. Yeah. Right? You know, you have this um, you have a very strong cult following and they, they really care about this thing. And whether it's, you know, they the story didn't end the way they wanted it to or, you know, it, it just went in a the direction they weren't happy with or you know, the, the production of it, et cetera, et cetera. You know, fans can sometimes have this extreme uh, reaction. And, you know, I think one thing I've seen, uh, at least on the Internet, uh, more so these days, I, I think, is people uh, have have larger and larger followings. Um, is that sometimes there's like a clash between the creator and their fan base because of, you know, the fan base not necessarily understanding what the creator is going through. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they, they don't really see behind the, the curtain of like, okay, you know, you're creating this thing that I really like, but you're a very, you're, you're, you're a person, right? You have other things going on aside from this. Um, and there's a little bit of selfishness there that I, um, that, that, that's kind of, kind of innate uh, of fandom, I, I, I think. Um, <laughs> but yeah, ultimately you would finish season two, um, and and you would move on to to season three, as you said. Um, and, and season three was interesting because the the production level, I think, really really kicked up here, and the length of episodes um, also uh, increased. And, and now it, it felt like you listen to an episode in season three, and it's like this long arch. You got you sit down and strap in if you're going to listen to one of these episodes because <laughs> it's going to take you yeah. uh, on a, on a mm-hmm. few different places. Um, so, so, so I guess coming coming back here, you know, the the process of of finishing season two, um, and and then uh, eventually moving into season three as as well. Can you tell me a little bit where you you found the, I don't know, just just the the creative um, horsepower to 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 get through that? Because I'm sure it was grueling to 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 a degree. It 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 was it it was grueling. But at the same point, it with Ali having passed, it felt it felt like there was a mission, and and doing it was kind of honoring her memory, and was uh, a way of trying to heal myself because you feel like why am I why am I still around when this beautiful wonderful person that should be here is not here? Um, how do I make you know my existence um you know worthwhile when you know when when you're alone and so again there was there was uh leviathan was very much a a salvation for me but we had you know at that point you know we had been doing this now about 10 years and everybody's skill level had gotten better and luke allen who was um uh, who does all the original music and also some of the sound design in Leviathan. Um, he had been kind of stepping up more and more and the way that he was translating the scenes, emotions into the original music that you have was getting stronger and stronger. Mm-hmm. And, and we were feeling the scenes more and more. And, and it's almost like we all started to have a little bit more confidence with each other. Like Luke's going to bring this music up. And, and Robin's going to hit them over the head with great sound effects. And, you know, the writing is coming from a deeper, more personal place. And mm. I can rely on these guys to bring out, you know, the, the, the intensity and the emotional gravitas of the scene. And so I think that trust started building more and more as a team. Um, 
but it you know it there was definitely a different feeling to season three because I knew it was going to be the conclusion of a major story arc in Leviathan. And, you know, it, it, to your point, what you were saying before, the fans don't always know what's going on with the creator's head. And, and, you know, there was never any doubt in my mind that eventually I was finishing Leviathan. And, but a fan couldn't know that there's been <laughs> right. my, my feeds dead for two years. How would they know that? And, you know, right now Leviathan is mapped out for, you know, at least the next five, six shows. Um, but a fan doesn't know that by seeing our release schedule. Um, so as we were concluding uh, the end of Leviathan in, in season three, there was definitely a thought to, okay, you know, w- you know we, we've, we've accomplished this big story arc. Where do we want to go from here? And, and we started to figure out we wanted to start to do some spinoffs Mm-hmm. of the show we wanted to focus more on our main characters uh and maybe go in more to their backstory something we've been doing with the special edition episodes um and and you know right now our goal is to kind of put out a couple more of these spin-offs that lay the groundwork of certain plot lines that i want to flesh out and then we're going back to seasons four five and six of leviathan now having all this new lore been established so mm-hmm. that's kind of the, the longer term thinking, but we needed to kind of know some of that when we were finishing season three at the time. Wow. I mean, and that pretty much brings us to, to current day at this point um, mm-hmm. as to, to, to where we stand, because I believe season three of Leviathan wrapped up around 2020 or so. Um, during, which, during the pandemic. Right. During the pandemic. Um, and <laughs> in some ways, I'm, I'm glad that it, it you guys were able to like hit it that year and and not bleed over into you know obviously the pandemic years which would be very obviously difficult for everyone um and may have thrown a wrench in and plan from a, a travel perspective or uh, you know getting mm-hmm. everyone on the same page in order to to record so it's like you you finished just in time uh, oh my to, God. to be able to, to to avoid that but um this is actually 2020 was the year that i discovered the show um because of the pandemic, I was looking for things to listen to. And I'm like, Leviathan Chronicles, I haven't listened to that one yet. Um, and then obviously I'll be whisked away into this, this, this very interesting world. Um, but, you know, finishing, I, I guess what you could say is, is uh, a large part of the main story. I, I think for creators, sometimes once you, you, you kind of exhale and you're like, wow, okay, I, I hit that goal that I had set however many years ago to, to, to finish this and to, to get to this point. Um, you know, I, I think one thing that's interesting for me is that as you, you cross that finish line, you still had like a, an idea of like that, this isn't really the end of the story. It's just kind of like the first major, major checkpoint, um, which, which for me as a listener is, is really exciting to hear because, uh, you know, when I finished the, the, the story, I was like, okay, that's it. <laughs> you know, like that's, that's Leviathan more or less. I mean, you know, it, it, obviously there's, there's, um, yeah, and, and for folks who haven't listened to the, uh, the show, I encourage you to do so. But, you know, once it ends, you can definitely see that there, the story could keep going or it, it could not possibly if, mm-hmm. if you decided to not keep moving forward with it. Um, but the fact that obviously you had this, the, the, these plans in place and that you really had a goal of what you wanted to do uh, very long term um, with the show is, is, is just, I don't know, this is really cool to, to, to hear your perspective on that. Um, so now, now that we have come to current day, uh, obviously that the, the first spinoff series that you did with Leviathan Chron- or with the Leviathan World, I should say, is the Rapscallion Agency, um, mm-hmm. which is a tonally very different 
story than than the main storyline. I, I, in my head, I think I was going into it thinking like, okay, like this is going to be sort of similar, but just like mildly different. But but the the main story that we're focusing on is going to really tie back to the the storyline that we had had come to to be following in in the the main branch of, of the series. Um, and it's not <laughs> at all, right? It tells a completely different story. It goes in a uh, a different direction and talks about uh, um, or delves into to characters that, I, like you said, weren't as maybe fleshed out in in the main Leviathan story. Um, can you tell me? You know, I mean, I, I won't ask you to to dive into it too much because I, I encourage folks to just go listen to it. But could you tell me at what point you knew that? this was going like this was going to be the first spin-off that you would take like what made this one uh, stick out from all the other directions that you could have went in and and made you choose like okay this is the one I, this is the story i'm going to tell first cuz the the team was sick of immortals maybe we had a couple we had a couple different um we had a couple different options that we were right, talking yeah. about and uh the rapscallion agency was the most playful and lighthearted mm-hmm. of the ones that we were considering. We were going to do uh, Invenios Expeditions, was uh, which is going to be our, our second spinoff that's currently under production right now. Uh, the Black Door Files was going to de- go into what the other twenty doors of Black Door um, was uh, was going to be, and there was the Seraxian Cataclysm, which was the backstory of the aliens that originally uh, came to Earth that started um, uh, the whole uh, process of, of immortality on Earth. So, um, and and the, the gang really wanted to do something after all the heaviness of Leviathan right. to go with something that was lighter. And and it was kind of a fun, creative challenge. We, we wanted to capture the fun of a semester abroad in Europe with yes. a spy caper and, <laughs> yeah. and to see if we could pull that off and what that would look like. And, you know, it was, it was a very different production process for us at that point. Mm. We, um, we did it all in Los Angeles. Um, we, you know, used uh, some new characters that uh, some new cast members that we hadn't worked with before that were amazing. We worked, you know, in a, in a new sound studio and it was, we, we went about it, it, it felt very different going into it. And we also, what was different about Rapsion is we had written it all before we started recording. And Leviathan had been, because of the, the, the nature of the process, had been very like um, episode by episode. Uh, and that was very frustrating for everybody. It was frustrating for the actors. It was frustrating, very frustrating for Robin and the crew, um, because there's just so many more efficiencies when you can work on one big chunk of you know the block of dialogue when not having everything go episode by episode uh and and it, it made it a lot easier so we felt like in many ways rapscallion was our most professional work to date mm. even though it was a big departure from the the darkness and the intensity of of leviathan right and and that i'm, I'm so glad you uh, include that last part there it's very very polished um and it's interesting because uh, obviously I, i've listened to it um i, I want to say maybe like one and a half times so far mm-hmm. um and then i go back for the purpose of this episode to listen to leviathan like those those early episodes and i'm like wow you can hear just like the, the crispness and the difference um in the audio quality and of course right it's been you know mm-hmm. 13 15 years since um mm-hmm. since, yeah. since those times but 
um, it's it's an interesting comparison uh, that I encourage uh, uh, listeners of the story to do. Uh, listening to that first episode of the Rapscallion Agency versus the first episode of Leviathan. Um, and I, I guess in terms of where uh, Leviathan Audio Productions now, uh, or where you guys are now, um, it, w- w- what do you see coming next in, in the near future? Obviously, the, the Rapscallion Agency has, has finished up. That's a completed story. Uh, and I know you were saying the the next spinoff is, is kind of in production. But are there mm-hmm. any other sort of uh, smaller mini projects that you're working on or um, any other interesting things to, to share? Man, Dimitri, you have like a Vulcan mind meld, how you can pull all these secrets out of me. It's, uh, <laughs> you know, we're we're entering a new phase for Leviathan Audio Productions now. And uh, our next show is called The Invenios Expeditions. And we mm-hmm. take two of our characters from Leviathan, uh, uh, Jeffrey Tully and Oberlin Sinclair. And in for your listeners in Leviathan, these were kind of two uh, treasure hunters that really weren't having a lot of luck at their job. They're kind of like the bad news bears of <laughs> shipwreck finders. And at the end of Leviathan, they're actually able to find the shipwreck that they've been looking for. And, and in the process of doing so, they're then able to build their dream boat, which they referenced in one of the early episodes of Leviathan, called the Invenio. So it was a lot of fun really designing this ship physically that we're going to be talking about in audio. And and uh, if you're a Jacques Cousteau fan, one of the, you know, or if you've seen uh, some of Wes Anderson's The Life Aquatic, there's these wonderful uh, diagrams of the boats, like room by room. Uh, and there's one of Jacques Cousteau's Calypso that's very iconic. And we did the same thing for the Invenio. So when we release the podcast, you'll be able to actually see the blueprint of the ship and and um, and where all the different vehicles and submersibles within it lie that you see referenced in the story. So we tried to approach it in in more of a multimedia fashion. Mm. But, you know, where there's a lot of we're trying to both combine where we want to take the studio with where podcasting is going right. now as a whole. So there's there's kind of two challenges that we're facing. And I think. Uh, I'm a believer in audio fiction. Audio fiction is still a somewhat niche sector of a rapidly growing uh, larger movement in podcasting. Uh, so we're we're getting bigger every day, but we're not at the size of like the true crime genre or the celebrity gossip uh, genre. And, you know, I think when people find out about Leviathan, because a lot of audio fiction only has 10 or 20 episodes and what it is. The question that keeps coming up is, what can I listen to next? Right. Um, yeah. I loved your thing. Like, where, where do I go next? Um, and now there's finally a deep enough uh, well that there's actually an incredible amount to listen to. Where when we started, there was there was really like like ten or twenty shows yeah. that were really being actively made. Now there's there's hundreds, and there, and so many of them are amazing, amazing stories. Um, so what we're doing now is we are trying to make sure that we get everything in, in Venios done. And Venios is going to be about 12 to 13 episodes. It's the most ambitious project we've ever done. It's the biggest cast we've ever done. Um, we've shut, we've been recording in New York, LA, San Francisco, um, uh, lots of other places. And what we're also going to do is we have something called special edition episodes we did for Leviathan. So one of the early ways we thought we were going to monetize our show was we're going to give away the story for free. And if you like it enough, then you'll come to our website and you'll pay three ninety nine 
for additional episodes that are, you know, like one to two hours in length and go almost the length of a feature film and go deeper into kind of some of the characters' backstories. And that worked for a little bit, but people aren't going to websites anymore to to buy specific content that's kind of like like off-brand. So we're going to take those uh, five, and we actually have a sixth one that has never been released. Uh, We're going to remaster them uh, and do some re-recording and and really polish them up. And then we're going to release those after the Invenios Expeditions to the public for free. We've never done that before. Uh, There'll be ads in them because we have ads in our show now. Um, And if uh, we're going to be launching a Patreon page where people can listen to ad-free versions of everything we do. Um, But because we have those ready to go, um, that's going to really extend the time that we're going to be releasing continuously. So uh, we're going to be, we're going to be having 13 weeks of releases with Invenios. Then we'll have another 13 weeks of releases with uh, the special edition episodes. And during that time, we will hopefully uh, be able to finish our next, our third spinoff, which is going to be the Seraxian Cataclysm. And that'll be slightly shorter. We're shooting for about eight episodes for that. And that's going to be more of a uh, high drama uh, space sci-fi show. That's going to then come afterwards. So we think when all is said and done, we're going to have pretty close to three quarters of a year of weekly releases of content that we've never, ever done before. Right. And, yeah. and our hope is that by being that consistent, over such a long period of time that that's quite frankly unusual in audio drama mm-hmm. that that's going to um, raise the profile of our studio and our universe enough that we can attract um, uh, more institutional investors and uh, allow us to get the capital to then take Leviathan to its next phase and start doing seasons four, five, and six of Leviathan. That's the long grand plan that what we have. But the uh, the one little secret that we'll we'll share is we have a a secret comedy podcast that we've been doing we haven't oh, told anybody about it <laughs> i wonder if this um, is what i think it it's is. it's the you, you might have heard about the first one it's been kind of going around some secret corners you know it's called the slightly sleazy speakeasy oh. um and it's uh you know when we we're late at night we've got these actors we're like essentially it's snl with audio we're just doing some comedy <laughs> skits because we're trying to make ourselves laugh um, but we're, um, we're going to, we're going to release kind of sporadically these, these little comedy bits and they're just fun. We're not trying to be on a release schedule. We're not, these are just Easter eggs that we're doing more for ourselves. But, um, but what we found funny is we've just put up this little 15 minute skit that we did on some of the award circuits and people seem to really like it. So I think yeah. we're going to be doing more of these or not related to leviathan they're not part of the lore right we're taking one step away it's just meant to be fun and and make everybody laugh awesome wow well thank you for for the overview of, of what's coming as a fan of uh, of this universe that's that's really exciting to me to to get like that peek behind the curtain and for listeners as well i i, I hope that um you know gets you ready for some of the things that are coming in the in the very near future uh with leviathan and you you hit you hit the nail on the head so beautifully that that sort of consistency in terms of release is, is very, very rare. So many of my favorite shows that release and it's like, see in two years. Um, and, I, and I understand yeah. why. Sure. Um, sure. But mm-hmm. it's it, to, to, to have the level of planning to, to work around that and, and find a way to keep people constantly engaged is, is wonderful. Um, one more question uh, before I let you go, Christoph. 
Um, you know, th- throughout this episode, we've gotten a chance to kind of, you know, hear your journey go down memory lane, so to speak, uh, and, and how you made your way all the, 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 the way to, to 2023 and, and brought Leviathan to, to, to be what it is now. Um, I, I feel like folks, and obviously they, they might not be podcasters, but um, I, I feel like everyone's going to have some level of um, relatability to your story. One, one, uh, somewhere in there, one nugget of it is going to, to stick out to them, whether it's the idea of working a, um, you know, a traditional occupation that maybe isn't the most fulfilling or, or having you know, just some sort of creative uh, idea that you'd like to um, act on. Uh, any advice to an individual that might be in a similar position to, to where you were 15 years ago? Um, any, any, any tips that you can give them in terms of taking that first step? I think that, that to create is, is to live. And, and I don't mean that as a pithy slogan. What, what I mean by that is that you, the fuel that you're going to need to create whatever, whether it's a painting or a book or, or whatever it is that, that, you know, something that's deep in your soul that you're trying to get out, you know, it's there and you can feel it and you just can't get it to the surface is um, that the, the joy is not that I'm going to put this big shiny thing up there and it's going to be a big success. And that's when I'll like it. The, the, the joy must come in the creating in the, the fact that, you know, in my case, I feel privileged to be able to write and I feel privileged to work with my team. And you have to, even if nobody sees it, the, the feeling of the brush in your hand against the canvas, that's the moment that, that you're alive. It's not the moment that the curtain comes back and the spotlight is on you. It's, it's the fact that you as a human being, you know, with a soul and a mind that you get to express yourself and put out your ideas um, and, and where the internet is good, because I'll tell you the greatest thing about Leviathan has been the unexpected fan moments when, you know, there's a person, you know, who doesn't have sight. And this is one of the most visceral ways that, that a story can come alive for their minds. Or, you know, there was somebody else who, um, you know, again, was, was having some severe, severe health challenges and had to do weekly spinal taps and, this was their escape. And those are the moments that, you know, that, that are really, that, that, that make you want to keep doing what you're doing. And so letting people know what you're doing and that you're working and that you're struggling, you will get feedback and you, it takes a village to create something and you do not need to do it, do it alone. There is support online. There's support among friends and family. And, and that's how you get it from in here to out there Hmm. is getting people to, support you and be accountable to you and and i guarantee you there's there that you will you will find an audience for um for you know for your struggle and for your work and don't be afraid to look out don't be afraid to be vulnerable don't be afraid to look silly and stupid because we're all going to make mistakes and people do understand you know your, your process when you're authentic about it interview with Kristoff. A great story, right? Uh, Honestly, Kristoff is someone that I've sort of idolized a bit for the last few years after discovering his work, and this conversation only solidified that. Talking to him, you can feel his excitement and passion for what he does and the world that he's been able to create. 
As a fan, I'm extremely excited to see or rather hear his next project. And if you haven't already, I encourage you to check out the Leviathan Chronicles as well as the Rapscallion Agency. Both are enthralling stories that you'll quickly fall in love with. Trust me, you won't regret it. But that's it for me. As always, thank you for listening and I'll catch you in the next one. Peace.